Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Hello and welcome to Exchange Traded Fridays. It's a weekly roundup of markets and ETF news. My name is Sean Alaka. I'm editor-in-chief here at ETF.com. With me are my esteemed colleagues, is senior ETF analyst Samit Roy. Say what's up, Samit. Hey, everyone. We also have our new managing editor, Daria Solovieva. Good morning, Daria. I think it's the first time on the podcast. Welcome to Good you. Good morning. Great to be here. We also have a very special guest. He's managing research analyst at Morningstar, Ryan Jackson. Good morning, Ryan. Good morning, guys. Thank you for the uh, for the warm introduction and for having me on today. Absolutely. Um, and he's here to talk about his latest research into ETF investors that dropped this week. But before we get to that, obviously, we've got to touch on the big news today, on, on, which is the jobs report that came in um, just exceedingly hot. It was trumping all analysts' expectations, even doubling some of those projections. So, I mean, just a blistering labor market right now. No slowdown kind of in sight, which is sort of good in some ways because it's a strong signal you know, for, for the health of the economy. But also going to give the Fed serious, serious uh, reasons to aggressively, you know, hike some of those rates, interest rates when they meet toward the end of next month. So, you know, either way you look at it, certainly going to have reper- repercussions for the markets. We see stocks were sliding a little bit this morning. I know, Samit, you're chomping at the bit to give us your hot take. I can't wait for it. Um, so we'll dive into that now. Samit, you want to uh, kick us off and then we'll have Ryan's take right there after? Absolutely, Sean. So as everyone knows, we got this huge, huge jobs report today, 528,000 jobs added in July, which was more than double the 250,000 that economists were expecting. And we saw the unemployment rate dip from 3.6% to 3.5%, which matches the pre-pandemic low. That's the rate for unemployment in February of 2020, which itself was the lowest level for unemployment since 1969. Wages were also hot. They're at 5.2% year over year. So strong numbers. But what's most interesting to me about these numbers is not so much the numbers themselves, which obviously are really, really strong. It's the interpretation to the numbers that we're seeing in the market. A month ago, numbers like these would have been met with a ton of concern on Wall Street, particularly the stock market, because obviously these numbers make it much more likely that inflation is going to stay elevated and that the Fed is going to keep hiking rates aggressively. But I'm looking at the stock market right now, and it's bounced off its lows. Uh, We're seeing it hold on to almost all of its gains from the past few weeks. I think there's a couple reasons for that. One, these numbers effectively dash all the talk about how we might already be in a recession. No matter what GDP said about Q1 and Q2, unemployment at close to 50-year lows doesn't equal a recession of any significance. Secondly, commodity prices have fallen pretty significantly off their highs. Everything from oil to gasoline, copper, wheat, they're lower. And that's going to help at least headline inflation slow down a bit. Some ways, this kind of puts us back to square one, right, where we have a strong economy 
and inflation that's much too high. We've avoided the worst case scenario for now, which is stagflationary environment where we have a recession and high inflation. Now it's just strong growth and high inflation with the hope that maybe inflation has peaked thanks to falling commodity prices. I don't think we're completely out of the woods though. The big questions now are what happens with core inflation, the prices for stuff other than energy and food. Are they gonna keep surging um, and exacerbated by the wage growth that we're seeing? And how does the Fed respond to all of this? The market is now pricing in a third straight 75 basis point hike in September. And expectations are that the Fed funds rate could get up to 3.75% in early 2023. On the other hand, you look at the Treasury bond market and the 10-year yield is only 2.85%, a full 40 basis points below the two-year Treasury yield. And we all know inverted yield curves have preceded every recession of the modern era. So there's a ton of things to digest here. Personally, I think barring some sort of negative economic shock, we've probably hit at least a short-term low in Treasury rates. The stock market's a little more difficult to figure out, though. The S&P 500 has recovered almost half of its losses that we saw peak to trough. By definition, that makes it riskier than it was at its lows. But also, we're clearly not in a recession and corporate earnings are holding up. So lots of things to ponder. And the path for inflation and growth is only slightly clearer today than it was yesterday. Um, what do you think, Ryan? I know you had some thoughts about how uh, this jobs report affects uh, high growth stocks in particular. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was an excellent summary by by Samit. I, I think he nailed it. And, you know, likewise, I'm I'm always interested in kind of the stock market response to jobs reports like this of this kind of caliber. You know, we've seen markets behave very temperamentally when it comes to responding to certain reports throughout this year. And, you know, as Samit alluded to today, you know, seem to be taking it in stride a little bit better than they have in some of the earlier months. You know, of course, this the question becomes, what does this mean for for the Fed response in the coming months here? You know, I'm always interested to kind of dissect the the stock universe into the the value and growth halves. You know, growth stocks with some of their projected cash flows a little bit further out in the future tend to react a little bit more harshly to any of those interest rate increases. So, what I'll be keeping an eye out for in the next few days here is if we see a you know value resurgence compared to growth uh, that really we saw at the first half of the year. You know, that trend started to reverse a little bit in July with growth stocks making a comeback. You know, and we'll see if that that July pop for growth stocks proved to be short lived. That's something that has a little bit more staying power here into the second half. Ryan, there are a lot of insights in the Morningstar reports earlier this week. So just to follow up on what you were mentioning, as Samit was saying, we're not completely out of the woods yet, even with this jobs, latest jobs data. I was wondering one of the things that caught my eye was investors changing attitude towards inflation. Um, and I was wondering if you could um, talk a little bit about that in terms of how it's changing from the first half of the year and also with this latest uh, data that we're seeing right now. Yeah, absolutely. And just for background, so the report that I published here at Morningstar uh, really focuses on what kind of ETF flows we're seeing here in the U.S. market. You know, ETF flows, they're not a perfect gauge of investor sentiment, but by looking at where all these investors are putting their money, you know, we can get a sense for what some of their priorities are, their concerns are, and, and even some of their expectations for the future. And one trend that we saw, you know, early in, in 2022 and especially late in 2021, that inflation clearly emerged as investors' number one concern, really seemed to be quarterbacking a lot of the flows into different corners of the market um, throughout those months. You know, for example, 
at the end of last year, you know, we saw inflation projected bond ETFs and and bank loan ETFs, both of which offer a really sound protection against inflation, uh, have tremendous years. Inflation protected bond funds grew at about 120% organic growth rate last year. Bank loan funds at about 65% organic growth rate. But what we've seen, you know, throughout a, a bunch of different pockets of the market is that this year, uh, those trends have really started to reverse. You know, inflation-protected bond funds uh, through July were in outflows, as were bank loan funds. You know, another interesting way to to look at that, another lens that we can kind of assess investors' attitude towards inflation, uh, is their comfort with interest rate risk, and whether they're interested in shorter-dated bond ETFs or some of these longer-dated funds. Um, you know, last year you saw much more appetite for these shorter-dated funds. Uh, investors didn't want to put a whole lot of interest rate risk on the table, you know, but once again, here in 22, we've seen that trend really flip on its head. In recently July, long-term funds uh, pulled in a lot more money than some of their shorter dated peers. You know, so far this year, we've seen investors really showing a lot more comfort with interest rate risk than we expected, you know, implying that perhaps they think the worst of the inflation days are behind us. And then another area where you can kind of gauge investors' attitude towards inflation is is looking at commodities ETFs. You know, that's perhaps the, the clearest case so far this year. Commodities funds we saw in the first quarter pulled in about $19 billion of new money. In the second quarter, you know, that trend started to U-turn. We saw investors pull out about $4 billion. Uh, and then just in this past July alone, those funds lost about $6 billion. So, you know, investors, their attitudes are, are shifting uh, really on a dime and, and really in a pretty pronounced fashion. Um, and I think they deserve a little bit of credit for, you know, A, having the foresight uh, at the end of last year and early this year uh, to kind of build up that wall against inflation and, and the interest rate hikes that come with it. And now that, you know, we're potentially at a point where, you know, interest rates uh, maybe won't be hiked as aggressively as they were earlier this year. Investors are, are kind of pivoting and remaining nimble and you know showing a little bit more comfort with some of those risks. And do you think that's a trend that's likely to continue when it comes to commodities ETFs? You know, with commodities, it's it's tough to say. I, I think just given that their performance is starting to dwindle a little bit after they were really one of the few safe havens in the market to start the year, I, I do think you know perf- uh, investors tend to follow performance to a degree and you know also tend to uh, affirm some of their preconceived notions so if they were starting to think hey maybe it's time to pull out of some of these commodities funds and they've recently seen some of the performance to back that hypothesis up i wouldn't be surprised to see that exodus from from commodity etfs continue absolutely and you've also described dividend etfs as one of the stand-ups standouts from your research for july could you talk a little about you know them representing seven percent of the total fund universe, but representing a significant portion if the in the inflows in July? Is that also the trend that is likely to continue? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I want to zoom out a little bit and just talk about you know kind of flows uh, into ETFs as a whole at, at first, uh, and then we'll kind of dive into the dividend ETFs more specifically. You know, through July at this time last year, we we saw ETFs had pulled in about $520 billion for the year to date. That mark at this point of the year is is only $340 billion. You know, obviously that's, that's still a very large sum in the right direction, but when we're comparing it with 2021, it, it's clear that investors have a little bit more apprehension about just diving full on uh, into the ETF markets. You know, the Bond ETF flows have been pretty consistent, which means that really we've seen most of that drop off come in stock ETFs. Investors have shown a little bit more trepidation to to buy into these equity ETFs, you know, not quite as willing to 
invest in some of these just broader S&P 500 type vehicles. You know, but one area of the stock ETF universe that's really stood out are value ETFs and more specifically these dividend portfolios. You know, part of that is a performance story. The, these funds have uh, really across the board performed exceptionally well for a couple reasons. You know, one is a little bit more traditional. You know, dividend stocks we tend to think are are better equipped to handle some of these turbulent markets. Uh, oftentimes, these are stocks with very mature operations. You know, they have the the longstanding profitability to redistribute some of their income to shareholders. You know, they're big, familiar franchises that should be comfortable weathering some different markets. You know, these would be your your Coca Colas, your IBMs, your Johnson and Johnson. Etc. These are kind of the defensive companies by nature, so it meant, makes sense that investors would gravitate towards them, and they've absolutely delivered on their billing so far this year. The other kind of unique aspect of dividend ETFs that I think has really been the kicker and you know drummed up that added increment of of inflows for them is this idea that a lot of dividend funds, and especially those that are targeting yield, you know, willing to steer into some of these deeper value companies. Um, we're really, really just stockpiled in energy companies to start the year. You know, these aren't necessarily these defensive funds, um, you know, that should hold up well. These are funds that are more focused about delivering really high yield to investors. Um, but just because of that outsized energy stake, oftentimes they'll have a large utility stake too. These funds just shot the lights out in the first half and drummed up the investment to come with it. So all things considered so far this year, you know, even though dividend ETFs constitute about 7% of the stock ETF universe, they've pulled in about a quarter of all of those inflows. So absolutely punching above their weight so far. Ryan, you mentioned how overall ETF inflows for the year are something like $340 billion. Have you been surprised at the resilience of ETF inflows this year? I know we saw the worst first six months of the year for stocks and bonds in decades, yet inflows have been surprisingly strong. Why do you think that is? Yeah, Sumina, it's a great point. And to be honest with you, I was a little bit surprised, you know, especially when you consider you look at open-end funds, you know, kind of the, the more legacy vehicle when it comes to a lot of investors. Uh, and through the first half of the year, we're still waiting on July flows data, but through the first six months, those funds had actually bled about $400 billion. So, you know, if I were to attribute maybe why ETFs are stacking up just a little bit better, I don't think it's crazy to think that, you know, ETFs really are becoming the investment vehicle of the now and the future. And, you know, you may see a little bit more pop uh, of some of those investors going from open-end funds uh, into ETFs for some of the tax advantages that come with the vehicle and, you know, some of that other lower investment minimum, et cetera. So I think part of it is is kind of a vehicle story. You know, I think that is a little bit easier to explain than trying to assess, you know, the differences in the ETF investor versus the open-end fund investor and, and maybe their willingness to kind of stick through those tough markets. But it has been a remarkable run, you know, to to come out of such a turbulent first half of the year with really impressive inflow numbers just kind of speaks to ETFs and their popularity as an instrument. Yeah, absolutely. Very selling points, Ryan, for sure. And I know your research, I know Daria dug into it earlier this week and I was taking a look at it and a lot of great insights into what happened in the first half. Dividend ETFs played a huge role. They were the darling of investors. Maybe we can put you on the spot here just a little bit and look into the crystal ball into, for the rest of the year. Where do you see either sectors or certain ETFs kind of performing or outperforming? Or what do you see? What do you think some trends that maybe you're seeing now that, that might continue? Or what's your take for the, for the rest of the year? 
Uh, well, Sean, if I'm being honest, my crystal ball is often very, very cloudy. Um, it, it hasn't done a whole lot of favors for me in, in my previous experience. But, you know, if, if I'm looking ahead at, you know, I tend to gravitate towards some research that Dave Sakara here at Morningstar does that focuses on, you know, which corners of the market are, are over and undervalued. You know, even after a little bit of the July rally, really across the board, U.S. stocks, you know, still seem to be to be quite undervalued. If I were to go kind of specific corners, you know, I'm not predicting that they're going to absolutely blow off the doors in the second half, but I'm keeping a close eye on small cap stocks just because, you know, they typically tend to have the reputation for being a little bit more economically sensitive, falling a little bit harder during drawdowns, but, you know, excelling a little bit faster when when markets are a little bit smoother. And we didn't really see that so far in the first half. You know, I, I think both uh, the S&P 500 and the S&P 600, the, the small cap index fell in the neighborhood of about 10 to 12 percent in the first half. Um, I would have expected that small caps didn't prove so resilient. Um, so I'm interested to see, you know, if we I'm absolutely not convinced we're out of the woods yet. But if we start to see the the pendulum swing back in a more favorable direction for markets, you know, whether small caps can kind of cash in on some of that that goodwill they built up in the first half and go on a little bit of a run here. Yeah, it makes total sense. And, and thanks for those insights. We're going to have to leave it right there with Ryan. Thank you so much, Ryan. We appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you, guys. It's a pleasure. Absolutely. We'll have to leave it there, but thanks for listening to Strange Traded Fridays. It's again from ETF.com. You can go to your favorite podcast app, search for Exchange Traded Fridays. We'll be there. Again, for myself, my colleagues Samit and Daria, and a very special thanks to Ryan for coming on board. We'd like to thank all of you out there for listening. We'll catch you next week, and take care, everyone. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18-plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.